thank you for this word. We thank you that your word brings life. And as we've even reflected this morning, when we hide your word in our heart, you uh, keep us from sin. Lord, I pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you'll open our hearts to receive your word afresh, that you might bring life, that you might encourage us, that you might challenge us, that you might grow us, you might stretch us. Lord, that you would continue that good work that you have begun, that you would bring it to completion in us. So have your way in and through us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace permeates every character and every corner of this cosmos. Grace permeates every character and every corner of this cosmos. Now the reason I can say that is because God's word, God's word tells us that he is everywhere and God's word tells us that a central characteristic of who he is is a God of grace. And we've been singing about that this morning. Uh, we've heard about it in this passage and we're going to unfold that a little bit further this morning. Uh, you might have noticed on our notices, our electronic notices, we are beginning a new series next week. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series in looking at the kingdom of God. We're going to jump back into the gospels and we're going to explore what the kingdom of God is. Uh, but this morning, we conclude our series in First Peter. For those of you who have joined us for the first uh, day today, we've been journeying through First Peter over the last four months and uh, we're coming to a conclusion. We're coming to the last few verses this morning. Some of you, as I said last week, may be celebrating. Phew, the end of the call to suffer is near. But Carlos, God bless him this morning, he said, oh, I'm quite sad, Stu, we're, we're coming to the end of this wonderful series. And I'm a bit like Carlos, I've really enjoyed just what God's been showing to us as a church. We've very deliberately started our life together at Hope Church by unpacking First Peter. What does it mean to live in the context of this, as I'm saying, postmodern pagan world that we live in, so very similar to the world that First Peter lived in all those 1900 years ago. So grace permeates every character in every corner of this cosmos. But the trouble is, there are three things that mitigate against us experiencing that grace. The devil, our enemy, as Peter calls him, seeks to poison every expression of God's grace. The world that we live in, struggles John's gospel tells us to receive that grace and Paul tells us in Romans that our flesh even ourselves we struggle to live in the truth of this grace even if we might want to so those three things the devil the world and the flesh mitigate against us experiencing God's grace in the fullness of how we might want to see it grace that undeserved favor where you experience freedom and joy effortless joy and serving others and serving God's that beautiful experience of God's grace are you living in that this morning are you living in the gift of God's grace this morning or perhaps you're struggling to experience that beautiful joy that beautiful freedom that God holds out to us in Christ well these last few verses in first peter give us a bit of a clue as to why it is we might struggle to live in the fullness of god's grace so if you've got the bible uh, got a bible with you turn with me now to 
the last chapter of 1 Peter, and I'm reading from verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You have an enemy, Peter is telling us. You have an enemy, his name is Diabolos, the devil. And he's roaring around, Peter is saying, looking for someone to devour. Peter says, stand firm, resist him. But before that, he says, wake up, be alert, be of sober mind. In other words, Peter is saying, don't be ignorant, don't be naive. You have an enemy and his plan is to destroy you. Jesus very, very clearly articulates in John's gospel what the mission of Diabolos the devil is. In John's gospel, in chapter 8, Jesus said the following words. He said of de the devil, he is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. He's a murderer. He doesn't hold to the truth, Jesus says. He's a liar. He is the father of lies. In other words, all lies come from this source. He is a murderer. He takes life. He takes human life. Whenever you see these sorts of legislation that are going through our parliament at the moment, whether it's euthanasia, whether it's abortion, you can be sure the fingerprints of Diabolos are all over that because he is a murderer. He is the one who takes life when life should be given. Don't buy into the language that you might be hearing in our culture today. Some of these issues are health issues. No, no, when you are removing life, you are engaging and colluding with the work of the enemy. It was Bob Dylan who said, sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. And that's so true. How often Satan comes as a man of peace in the corrupted language where he uses language if it fits with his ultimate goal of taking life, of destroying life. So where you hear this language of it's a health issue or this kind of corrupted language, you can be sure this is not of God's. He is a murderer. He does not hold to the truth, Jesus says. The enemy of your soul does not hold to the truth what it means to be a human what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman what it means to be a family what it means to be in marriage what it means to be single diabolos sows confusion in all of these areas because he does not and will not hold to the truth he is the enemy of your soul peter is saying so issues of gender, sexuality, all of these where confusion is being sown in our culture today because the enemy of our souls does not hold to the truth. Even worse than that, Jesus says, he is a liar. He is an out-and-out -out liar, actively speaking falsehoods. Now, if you're casual with the truth, if you're casual with the truth, beware that you don't start colluding yourself in this very same ministry. To tell lies in politics has become commonplace. We're in danger of becoming so immune 
to the falsehoods that are being told in our public sphere. Jesus was scathing about liars. He warned the Pharisees. He warned the Jews who didn't believe him. And he said that their lies come from Diabolos, the devil, the father of the lies. I wonder what the biggest lie that the devil is telling us today. And he's telling many lies in our culture. I wonder what you think the biggest lie is that is being peddled today. Perhaps it's the lie that you have the right to end your life. Perhaps it's the lie that you can choose what your gender is. Perhaps it's the lie that human beings are in charge of this planet. Perhaps it's the lie that the accumulation of wealth will satisfy you. Perhaps it's the lie that the warriors will make it into the top eight. No, that's absolutely, absolutely not on the table, is it? What is the single biggest lie that the devil is telling this culture today? I want to suggest that the single biggest lie that the enemy is peddling today is that human beings have no purpose. Now that lie has been peddled for many, many generations that human beings are here of accidents, that human beings have no inherent transcendent purpose or meaning in life. And you don't have to spend too long in public spheres, in public education to know that's what's being taught and that's what's being encouraged. Stephen Hawking's put it bluntly when he said the following. He said the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. Now, Stephen Hawking was right in saying and emphasizing that we are very insignificant, but he was so wrong when he said that we are chemical scum on a planet. The Word of God tells us that we are so much more, that we have a purpose in life, that you have a purpose in life. And yet the enemy of your soul, the devil, Diabolos, would want you to believe that you are here by accident and there is no inherent purpose. Don't believe the enemy of your soul. This week I met with an Anglican minister in this town who shared about a story he had. Another minister in this town had given him a poster to put up, publicizing an event in a public sphere. I think it was in one of the libraries in town. And on this poster, it said it was story time by a transgender person called Morning Star for the children of Dunedin. Story time by a transgender person and their name was called Morning Star. Now, if you know anything about your scriptures, if you know anything about the book of Revelation, you will know when you see something like that written, expected to be put in public, how far the idolatry of our culture has gone. You have, we have, an enemy of our souls who comes to murder. He does not stand for the truth. He is the father of all lies. Your enemy, Peter is saying, is prowling around. Wake up, be alert, pay attention. There was a time when Satan's primary weapon was to be invisible and to be in disguise. I think that time has passed. He is now overtly attacking the people of God. And so Peter's counsel to us is to resist him, to stand firm, Peter demands. 
Look again at those verses. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. The family of the people of God around the globe are experiencing suffering. That's what Peter was saying to his first hearers. That's what we need to hear again today. We live in a culture that is somewhat comfortable in the material realm. But Peter's reminding us that we have brothers and sisters all around the globe that are undergoing suffering like you would not believe. The type of suffering that you can only dream about because the devil is seeking to devour them. He does it in different ways in our context. But I want to share a little clip this morning from one of our brothers and sisters in the Sudan. He is a man called Bishop Andudu. And if any of you know something of the story of Sudan, they've been going through all sorts of trials. They are under an Islamic government at the moment that has been oppressing the people, especially the Christian minority in the Sudanese country, North Sudan. If we can just play that clip now, please. People of Sudan have been suffering, and uh, especially in the first war, and the second war, uh, which started in year 2011, uh, also we had a lot of uh, destruction, and many people have been killed, many churches have been destroyed, people are going hungry. Uh, from the government of Sudan, led by the Omar Bashir, which is outstated uh, last uh, two months, but still uh, people are suffering in Nuba Mountains. And that's why I'm here in the Capitol Hill to advocate for my people and to talk about uh, the Christians and what is going on there. The persecution have been going on, uh, especially these nine years. Um, but one thing is good, while the persecution is going on, the bombardment is going on also, there is the growth of the church. Many non-Christians, they have joined the church, and there is real revival going on in Nuba Mountains, and including in the refugee camps in South Sudan, in Kenya, in Uganda. Um, things are changed, they are going on well as Christian-wise, even though there is suffering in other things, there is, there is no uh, enough food, and there is no enough schools. This is what we are advocating for, um, for the people of Nuba Mountains and uh, other marginalized areas in Sudan like Blue Nile and Darfur. We, we are coming here to advocate to the government of the U.S. and international community to help our Sudanese people. We as a Christian, when a part of Christians suffering, whole the body is suffering. In the Nuba Mountains, we come together as a Christians. We don't, we don't mind too much about denominations because we have like a common enemy that the Muslims are bombing the Christians and they are destroying the church. That's why we're coming together. Likewise, we, we, call, on, we call upon the Christians in whole world, especially the Anglicans, to stand with the people in Sudan, to strengthen the schools and Bible schools to help us support students, we send them to seminaries to be able to uh, help the people who are came to the church 
the new converts. There is no any university or any college in the Nuba Mountains. And we have only one hospital. One hospital with American doctor. One hospital for over a million people. This is not in the news because the media is very silent in our area. There is no much um, media people to give the news out. The government is banning all these things. And this is what we are called our brothers to stand with us. We get a bit upset about the state of our health care in Dunedin, but when we reflect on what's going on in Africa, we can give thanks. But the point of that clip is to say, be reminded, as Peter reminded his first hearers, that our brothers and sisters are suffering at this point in time. Right now, our brothers and sisters in Sudan, in Nigeria, in Syria, and on Iran, and many, many places around the world are undergoing fierce, fierce persecution. I heard a statistic this week uh, from Bishop Nazir Ali who said that of the persecution in the world globally, he said 80% of the persecution is aimed at Christians today, globally. And as our brother in Christ, Bishop Ndudu, said, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. But here's the thing. Where is the church growing at the moment? Where is the church growing at the moment? It's in Nigeria. It's in Syria. It's in Iran. It's in the Sudan. And why is it that the church is growing exponentially in those areas where we comfortably in the West, here in New Zealand, why is that? Is there some connection between the suffering of the church and our reliance on God? Do we get comfortable here in our complacency and the suffering that comes that brings the revival if you're living in a refugee camp in northern Kenya, you can't expect to having a housing allowance from the government. You don't get an allowance for being unemployed, but what you do do is you get on your knees and you say, God, unless you show up, my children aren't going to make it through the next week or month. That's the level of faith that gets cultivated in those contexts. Peter goes on to say, Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. The God of grace the God of grace who we've come to worship this morning. What's he going to do? He's going to restore you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to make you strong. This is the God who is calling you this morning, the God of grace, the God of all grace. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how you're feeling this morning. God says to us, the God of all grace is calling you. He's calling you this morning. He's going to restore you. It doesn't matter what your journey has been. He says to you this morning, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you strong. 
he says, because that's the character of our God, a God of grace who will make you strong. You may not feel that strength this morning. You may not feel like this can be your journey, a journey of restoration, a a journey where you're allowed to stand again. But that's the promises of God's words this morning. And ultimately, he says, he is calling you to eternal glory. You see, you do have a purpose. And your purpose is not just for today. It's not just for tomorrow. You have an eternal purpose. You are going to be called to eternal glory where you get to see this God face to face in all his beauty, in all his grace. You see, this God of grace has made some promises on your behalf. Before the beginning of time, God gave you purpose, meaning, and eternal destiny. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1. He says, In him, Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory." You've been given this God-given purpose. Don't let the devil rob you of that purpose. The God of grace has lavished his love on you, Paul says. In him, he goes on to say, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Right now, when you turn back to God, you have redemption, freedom, That's what that word means. God wants to give you freedom from the enemy's lies. You have forgiveness of sins. Your past is washed clean. And he gives you a new life, a purpose to live for. That's what the God of grace is offering to us this morning. An eternal destiny to be with God face to face. People, Peter is saying to us, we need to wake up, not to be ignorant, We need to be alert of sober minds. The devil is real and he will destroy you unless we turn to God, the God of grace, who will restore us, who will make us strong, even if we feel completely weak and powerless right now. There was a singer back in the 1970s and 80s. His name was Rich Mullins and uh, like some singers, some musicians, he was a fairly long-haired, long-haired hipster sort of a guy. I know one or two of those around. Uh, but he wrote a few songs. Some of you might be familiar with those songs. Uh, one was called Our God is an Awesome God. Does anybody remember that old classic? Yeah, this, this was the writer of that song, Rich Mullins. He was an alternative kind of a musician. He grew up in a Quaker household. Uh, but he wrote some amazingly anointed songs. One of my favorites is a song called I Stand, and it picks up on this verse here. And I'm going to read a few verses from that song. He says the following. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that has been born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. If I stand, let me stand on the promise of God. You don't stand on your strength. You don't stand on your abilities. You don't stand on your giftings or your good looks. You stand on the promise of God. And then Mullen says... But if I fall, 
let me fall into the grace that first called you. You see, there are some days where we just struggle to stand on our own strength. We struggle to stand and be true to what God is asking us to do. Even when we stumble or fall, grace, we fall into God's grace. And then he says, if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. Peter's been reminding us over the last four months, this isn't our home. Our ultimate destiny is to be with God in the kingdom of God, ultimately in heaven. If I weep, let me weep as a man who is longing for home. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you want to stand, but you don't have the strength. Well, guess what? The strength is a gift from this God of grace who will allow you to stand because that's the character of God's. Those promises began all the way back with Abraham when God called Abraham, when God called Moses, when God called Israel, when God called Peter, and in the same way he's calling you, he's calling you to be restored, that you can stand with him and stand in the truth of his grace, the true grace as he puts it. In his final greetings, Peter says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in the true grace of God. And all that's going on in our culture and all that's going on in your life right now, God's word to us is to stand fast in his grace, the true grace of God's. For the last four months, we've been journeying through this letter of the Apostle Peter's. He's been reminding us that we're living in foreign territory, that this isn't our ultimate home. He's been reminding us, and very clearly this morning, he's been reminding us that we are involved in a spiritual battle. Don't be naive that you have an enemy, an enemy of your soul who seeks to destroy you, who seeks to kill you, who doesn't want you to stand in the truth of God's grace. But praise God, praise God, he reminds us that when we humble ourselves, the God of grace will lift us up and place us on a firm foundation. I want to conclude by, as we've already had read to us, I want us to be reminded of Peter's first exhortation to the people back in chapter 1 and his exhortation to us this morning. Chapter 1, reading from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why is our hope a living hope? Because it's based on a living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. That's why we have a living hope. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That may be your experience. You're experiencing suffering and trials right now. That's not to be unexpected for the follower of Christ, Peter is saying. But know this, 
God is with you in those trials. God is with you in that grief. God is with you in that suffering. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the journey that you and I are on. Do you know the salvation today? Do you know the truth of this new birth today? Do you know this living hope today? Are you living your life in the truth of this living hope today? that a living Savior resides within you by His Spirit. Stand in the strength of this truth, not in the strength of your own abilities or your own strength. Stand in God's grace, and God will see you through. God will see us through. God is faithful to His promises. God will see you through whatever it is. God will see us through, and ultimately one day, we will receive that inheritance where we get to stand with Him face to face. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for the journey that you are taking us on. We want to say thank you this morning for the living hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And although you've reminded us this morning we have an enemy of our souls and that we must not be naive, we also acknowledge and give you thanks that that enemy has been defeated at Calvary. And we say thank you this morning, Jesus, for defeating the enemy and for making a way for us to know the joy of our salvation. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, every single person from the youngest to the oldest, for every heart, for every soul, for every spirit here. Lord, that you would help us to stand in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would fill us with that grace afresh for those of us who have wandered, for those of us who are struggling, for those of us who are grieving. Lord, that you would fill us again with your grace. And Lord, we thank you that you have promised us an inheritance. It cannot perish, it cannot spoil, but ultimately that inheritance will become and be given to us when you return in the fullness of time. So we say thank you, Lord, for this living hope that we stand in this morning. We say thank you for the truth of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.